1: Hi guys, welcome to this week's episode of Investor Intelligence, brought to you by the team at The Property Mentors, it's your weekly podcast for all things investment. So Luke, it's the time of year when people start setting goals and they start planning out what they want the year ahead to look like. And I know you don't need an event or a special time of year to motivate yourself and start setting goals, but have you got yourself some clear goals for 2023?
2: I've got some big goals for 2023 They were Mm -hmm. set throughout 2022, but um, looking forward to the year ahead because obviously there's ongoing changes in the property markets and ongoing changes in life, I guess. So Mm. yeah, big year ahead and I'm really looking forward to it.
1: Yeah. And so some of the common goals that we hear about, um, you know, they're the classic ones, they're the wanting to get fitter or if people want to lose weight or they want to save more money, um, they want to go on more holidays, just to name a few. But another really common goal that people set towards the start of the year is to read more books or, you know, these days to listen to more books, just consume books in in general. So they either start compiling a list of books that they've, you know, been wanting to get around for a while now, or they start setting themselves a specific number of books that they want to read throughout the year. So I've asked you to provide me with a list of your top five books and ones that you want to recommend to the listeners to either kickstart their year or or their reading list. Um, Ever since I've met you, I've known you to be an avid reader and given that you know what better time to share the books that you think have had the most influence on you um is it fair to say that the books you have provided today have influenced you not only as an investor but also as a a person and a leader
2: look absolutely i think the the book list that i've got i mean i've got hundreds of books there, Mm. or literally hundreds of books on (laughs) on personal development on property investing on wealth creation business uh, mostly those types of books are in my library. Uh, but yeah, look, I, I think a lot of these books I've read 25 years ago, you know, when mm-hmm. I was a, a teenager in my mid, mid-teens. And that, they have actually shaped my, my uh, property portfolio, my, my thinking, and I guess all of, all of me as a person. Because there's been a lot of lessons in those books that have really uh, set me on the right course from a very young age.
3: Mm.
1: And a lot of these books actually weren't written in the last couple of decades. You know, some of them are from the 1960s. Do you think they still all check out?
2: I I think so. There's a lot of key principles in some of these books that, you know, stand the test of time and they're just as relevant today as they were 50, 60, 70 years ago. Mm. And I think whilst the language might be a little bit different from when they were written, we know we don't speak in, in some of the terminology, that uh, the way that they were written back then, uh, but the the lessons are still the same and still apply today.
1: Okay, yeah, fantastic. Well, we won't go into them too heavily, um, otherwise we'll, we'll be here for quite a while. So I just want you to sort of touch on them. I just want to know what you got out of them and... Kind of why you think people should read them. So should we get into the first one? Absolutely. All right. So the first book you've chosen is How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And I think most people will at least recognize the title of this book if they haven't read it. But tell me a little bit about it and why you chose it.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of people have actually heard the name, but they don't actually know much about the book. My Mm -hmm. parents actually recommended this book to me when I was, I believe, 15 or 16. Uh, so 1995, 1996, and I was you know, just sort of working out what I was doing with the world and with school and with life and where I wanted to go and like a lot of people in their teenage years. And uh, I picked up this book. It was an old copy of the book. It's been republished a, a bunch of times since then, new fancy covers and all of that sort of thing. Mm. But I had an, an old copy of the book and I've still got it. And um, How, to Infra- How to Win Friends and Influence People sounds like quite an odd uh, title. You know, I'd prefer to make friends. Uh, and rather than win friends, but uh, you know that's again the terminology that was used when the book was written. Mm. Um, you know, winning friends is sort of a bit of an odd, odd thought, <laughs> yeah. really. Um, yeah. But when you read the book, it, it actually just teaches you very, very much common sense things about how to treat people and mm-hmm. how to you know how you want to be treated is how you should treat other people. And it's really about you know helping somebody to uh, come to their own decision. Uh, without you forcing them to do it. So I guess How to Influence and Influence People is really a a life lesson book. And it's a book that I'd recommend for anybody to read at any age. Uh, I've recommended this book to people in their 60s who have picked up this book and go, do you know what? This actually makes sense to me. I've just never read it. And it's some really good stuff in there. Um, Anyone that's got teenage kids whatever you can do to to make them read that book to bribe them, buy them some chocolate or some some whatever you need to do <laughs> uh, you know let them uh, have some more movie time or PlayStation time get that book in front of them buy it as a Christmas present they might just read it but look at the end of the day if you can read that as young as possible that it's amazing to to look at the effects that that will have. On your life, it's just got so many little lessons and tips in there, and just how to deal with people mm. that you, you really can't describe it, uh, you know, to, to somebody that without reading it, you know. Yeah, I, I learned a long time ago never recommend a book that you haven't read yourself, mm. um, because you never know what's in it. But that makes sense. Read, yeah. <laughs> reading uh, it, it seems it seems like a pretty obvious thing, but you know just hearing about, oh, that sounds like a good book. Mm. But if you've actually read it yourself, you understand the reasons why. But it, it really did have a big impact on me and how uh, you know, the whole world doesn't revolve around me. Uh, and, and I thought it did when I was a teenager. And um, <laughs> How did you, you know, take
1: that information?
2: <laughs> look, it, when it's put in the context that it is, it actually really makes sense. So mm. anyone that's anyone that's looking to build their business, build their property portfolio, Obviously, you know, building a property portfolio or any investment portfolio, really, there is a lot of people work, right? You need to manage relationships along the way with your accountant, your financial planner, your mortgage broker, of course, your property mentor, and and how to get the best results out of that comes down to your people management skills Mm -hmm. and how you can communicate with people and how you can create win-win outcomes. That's all covered in how to win friends and influence people.
1: Okay. So it's kind of about how to engage and communicate and as you say, like people manage with others.
2: Life lessons really on on how to communicate with people effectively yeah. to get what you want, but without them losing. So, you know, life can be about win-win. Mm. It doesn't have to be a win-lose situation. And the book really goes into detail on on how to get that outcome. And again, that's something that I've learned from a young age, but also ingrained into my my business life in that understanding that business doesn't have to be win-lose business Mm. can absolutely be win-win and it should be win-win and make sure that the business gets a win and the client gets a win and make sure that everybody's happy and understands what's going on the whole time and that comes down to good communication and a lot of those skills and lessons are actually in that book
1: okay well it sounds like anyone could get around that book that's great so book number two, again, I think this is another one that I think even if you haven't read it, the title may sound familiar, and it's Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. What did you take away from this one?
2: Robert Kiyosaki was quite quite new on the scene when I read this book, and not many people had heard about him in Australia in particular, in in that I was probably about 17, again, when this book came out, 17 or 18, and Rich Dad, Poor Dad really is an American Robert Kiyosaki, American, published author, uh, grew up in Hawaii. And so big disconnect from Australia and the Australian property market. But when I read the book, you know, I was a 17-year-old, wanted to take over the world, wanted to really – I wanted to be a multimillionaire. I didn't know why. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to be rich, right? And I thought being rich is something that's something that I want to aspire towards, but um, Rich Dad Poor Dad really puts things into perspective for me, and a lot of property investors around the world have read this and, and been inspired by it. It's not a book that I'll follow to the letter, mm-hmm. in that I don't follow every single thing that's in the book. Uh, but that's the whole purpose of a book: you take what you need out of mm-hmm. out of the book. Yep. Um, Rich Dad Poor Dad's a book for every property investor, in that you need to understand the difference between assets and liabilities understanding how to look at your numbers and how to review your property portfolio and what direction you're headed. And it really uh, educates people around money in general. So this is not even just for property investors, it's for anyone that really wants to understand money better.
3: Hmm.
2: Understanding what's an asset, what's a liability, and really understanding how you're going to build wealth long-term. So it's really a wealth creation book as much as it is a property book. And like I said, reading that book really helps people to look at things from a big picture perspective. So whilst a lot of it is American-based content, the book itself has been so successful because it really does cover off all bases for property investing and really understanding, uh, you know, his his rich dad did things differently to his poor dad. So it's understanding the mindset of the investor Mm. rather than just drilling into property. There's a lot of property books out there that just talk about property and you should do this and do that and interest rates and this and that. But when you read rich dad, poor dad, it's very much around the psychology of investing. And that's what really appealed to me is understanding how does a rich dad in this scenario, which was his friend's dad, Mm -hmm. uh, his friend's dad was wealthy and his own dad, not so much, uh, who he referred to as as his poor dad. Mm -hmm. And uh, rich dad, poor dad really is a a comparison of how wealthy people think versus how not so wealthy people think. Mm -hmm. Or in his term... Poor dad. So how how poor people versus rich people think, and understanding the difference really put some clarity around things for me to actually understand. Well, if I want to be wealthy, I need to have a mindset that thinks more like a rich dad, and how he made uh, decisions for his investing. So great book for everybody to read. I think it's one of those easy to read books. Really easy to understand. It doesn't get too technical. But the concepts in that book, even if you read that book now, pick it up again in five years' time. I've, I've picked up that book a number of times over the last 20 years or so and I get something different out of it every time because there are concepts in there that maybe didn't make sense to me back then, but they make sense to me now. Mm. And they weren't relevant back then, but maybe they're relevant now. So this is a good thing with books. Every time you pick it up, it's, it's going to give you a different outcome. You know, if there's been some... Uh, some learning that's happened in between the last yeah. time you picked it up.
3: That's
1: great. It's still stuck with you, even if it didn't resonate with you at the time.
2: Absolutely, these are things that once you've learned, you can't unlearn them.
1: Mm. So you mm-hmm. know,
2: understanding how rich dad thinks, how poor dad thinks, that's that's been part of my decision making process for the last twenty plus years. Is understanding yeah. these things have now you know been ingrained into the way I make decisions because I understand the concepts and the themes that have been talked about in the book.
1: Mm, I like the idea of mindset and money being something that actually go hand in hand together and the psychology of investing is really interesting because I think a lot of people think it's a very just on paper act and it's not
2: Absolutely, we're we're emotional creatures Mm. you know, and so we do make as much as we like to pretend that we can make logical decisions emotions do get in the way when you're investing about what to buy, when to buy, what risk profile you've got when to get in, when to get out, all of these are emotional decisions as well as logical decisions. Mm. Um, but you know, having the education behind you adds massive weight to the decisions that you make, whether it's yeah. a good decision or a bad decision, the level of education you've got around that topic makes a huge difference.
3: Mm.
1: Yep, that's amazing, great recommendation. Okay, so book number three is The Millionaire Next Door by I Thomas J. This- Stanley. Yeah, L-
2: Love this book. Um, The Millionaire Next Door, just to to sum it up, is basically understanding that having flashy things and having fancy cars and yachts and the fancy suit, you know, the fancy everything uh, to show off your wealth is not necessarily wealth. The Millionaire Next Door is a story about a, a guy that essentially drove an average car, lived in an average house, lived in an average suburb and spent his money wisely and invested the rest of his money and became a multi-millionaire over time. Mm. But you wouldn't pick it by looking at him. And right. the millionaire next door is somebody that's just smart with their money and basically goes out there and does what they need to do for their investing and doesn't need to go out there and buy the latest, you know, Gucci clothes and the, the latest, <laughs> you know, name brand <laughs> yeah. things. I, I, and I say that because, you know, we all know somebody that, that likes to spend their money to make themselves look wealthy.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you know, I've got a, um, a, a friend that runs a, a finance business and he says, uh, act your wage. But, <laughs> That's great. Uh, which which is great because a lot of people are not acting their wage. They're spending <laughs> more than their wage and trying to look more than their wage. So his, his, his comment, so act, act, act your wage makes sense because you know a lot of people are actually going out there and trying to show off that they're making a lot of money but they're not actually investing. They're not actually building wealth. And it's all well and good to buy a bunch of consumable items to make you look fancy and make you look good. Buy the fancy shoes and, you know, all of these fancy clothes and maybe even an expensive car that you're paying monthly payments on. And, you know, you might look wealthy to all of your neighbours, keeping up with the Joneses, trying to keep up with Mm. all of the (laughs) neighbours and having the, you know, the suburban street where everyone's got the latest car. And, you know, if you don't have the latest car, then you're the, the odd one out. You know, that's all emotional stuff. And this is where people get, uh, like we said before, is people get tied up to this emotional connection to what wealth actually is. Mm. And The Millionaire Next Door is such a great book, a really easy read, again, written a very long time ago. Um, Such a simple book to understand that you don't need to impress other people. A lot of people are out there going into debt, getting into credit cards to go and buy things that they don't need to impress people they don't like.
1: Mm, I love that one, yeah. There's
2: no point in doing that. And understanding that from a young age was really good for me because a lot of the things that I did during my during my 20s, I rented for most of that decade. I was out there renting and because I was renting, I knew that I was probably not going to be renting in the same place for long. I did move house a number of times. I moved from Perth to Sydney, Sydney to Melbourne. And when I got to Melbourne, I moved house a number of times and I was renting that the whole time. And because of that, I didn't go out there and buy expensive furniture and buy expensive things that were all just gonna get damaged every time I move anyway. Yeah. Maybe maybe they're not gonna fit in the house that I move into. And these are not my forever homes, therefore I'm not gonna buy forever furniture. And I often bought secondhand. I remember in Sydney I had a a new housemate that I'd only known for a little while. And I drove home from work one day and I saw a desk. And I remember getting him and said, Mate, give me a hand. We need to walk up the road, we're walking two blocks up the road to go and pick up this desk and dragged it home. We had to carry it. He was so embarrassed. And I just said, do you know what? It's a perfectly good desk. i put the computer on it. And, and then we had a desk, um, you know, and, and that sort of mindset really was around why would I go and spend four or $500 on a new desk? I can go and get this one. It works fine Mm-mm. as a desk. Mm-hmm. It did the job. It's not like I was working off it every day. It's not like we had COVID back then and I was stuck no. on that desk. Um <laughs> And this was before mobile phones you know you couldn't you couldn't get your emails on your phone this is 2000, 2003 I was doing this in Sydney and and the millionaire next door was a really good mindset book again is to understand money and understand what what true wealth really is
0: mm. and I
2: uh, highly recommend that book to anyone it's a very easy read it's a small book and um, yeah definitely definitely something that everybody should read
1: Oh, there you go. If it's a small book, it's a good holiday book. If you're on the beach somewhere or something, you need something. Would you say it's light? Would you say it's easy to?
2: It's easy to easy to digest, yes. Yeah, it's okay. definitely, not, definitely not something that's going to confuse you with stats and data. It is okay. very much a, a common sense book. But the thing is, is, a lot of people just don't get taught this stuff in school. If everybody had read that book in school, I think we'd have a very different society. I think it's one of those very powerful books, mm. and like I said, everybody should read it, especially if you're out there investing.
1: That's fascinating. I think a lot of people do like the idea of being a millionaire, and not a, whether they know it or not, to impress other people.
2: Well, it, it's as whether it's a conscious or a subconscious thing. Yeah, it's it's something that a lot of people think that you know building wealth is is. Well, it's superficial. it's something you know about having fancy cars and boats and yachts and nice houses, first class travel and nice clothes, all of that sort of thing. Maybe eating in fancy restaurants and showing off your wealth mm. and If that's your f- thought of what wealth actually is, then maybe you need to dig a little bit deeper and find out why you're truly investing and and I love doing all those things i I love being able to buy you know new cars. And not have to worry about the price i love being able to go and live in a nice house and not have to worry about the mortgage repayments all of these things are great but they're not the reasons i'm investing mm. the reasons i'm investing are much bigger than that it's about having the, the health and the security and access to funds if i need them which is much bigger than just having fancy things and a lot of people that know me i'm often in shorts and a t-shirt uh, and uh, I'm often in uh, jeans and a t-shirt when I'm in the office, and I don't, you know, dress up to impress people. Uh, at the end of the day, some people love doing that. I don't. I don't love doing that, um, and I don't need to do that. I don't think that that's that's part of who I am. Mm. Uh, some people absolutely need to have all of the fancy suits and things like that to impress people, and um, and that's fine. But if they read this book, I think they would have a, a different mindset.
1: Yep. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. All right. Book number four. Now, this is a book that you actually mentioned in our most recent FAQ episode, and it's called The E-Myth. And there's a few different versions of this one, but you're talking about The E-Myth Mastery. First of all, what does the E stand for in E-Myth?
2: The E stands for entrepreneurial myth. Um, This book by Michael Gerber uh, was written, I think, uh, 2007 Yeah, uh, was when it was first published. And it was interesting timing because I was in the process of running my second security business, electronic security that I that I did. And I'd moved to Melbourne and I was establishing that business and, and growing that business. And the E-myth stands for the entrepreneurial myth. Mm. And whilst it's not an investment book, I know that there's a lot of people on this podcast that are listening that are business owners or they want to become business owners. Mm. And this book really changed my life in that the way that you run and structure a business, the entrepreneurial myth really talks about how a lot of people are going out there and starting a business because they they work in their trade. Maybe you're a you know graphic designer or maybe you're a, a, a plumber or something like that. And a lot of people think, well, I can do that. So I'm gonna start my own business. Mm. And what people do is they go and start their own business doing that. They might be good at the trade. But they miss all of the other things that are a part of running a business, which is, you know, obviously you need marketing, you need money management, you need to be able to generate leads and generate business, you understand mm-hmm. your finances, all of these things come into it. And just being a good plumber doesn't make you a good business owner.
1: Yeah. Right? Yeah, and and that applies to,
2: to any business. So the entrepreneurial myth is that what they refer to is people being a technician. So you might be a, you know, I keep using plumber as an example, but you might be a fantastic plumber. You might be the best plumber in the world. But if you don't know how to manage your finances and do marketing and to do all of the other aspects of running a business, uh, recruitment's a big thing. All of these things that the entrepreneurial myth is that just because you're good at your trade doesn't mean you're gonna be a good business owner. Mm. And so I think people understanding that to structure a company the right way, you need more than just the skills that you've got in your trade. Um, So that was a good timing book for me. And for anyone that's in business that hasn't read it, you need to understand the fundamentals in this book. Even if your business has been running for five or 10 years or more or or 20 years, it doesn't matter when you read it, but read this book and it really helps you to put some structure in your business to understand whether the business is even the right thing for you. There's a lot of businesses out there that are struggling and often it makes more sense to shut the business down and go and get a job. Mm. Because the amount of effort, the stress, anxiety, and all of the other risk that comes involved with running a business may not be worth it because the whole idea of running a business is that you can generate a commercial enterprise that generates a profit with or without you. Mm -hmm. So if you're working in your business as a plumber, you should be getting at least the wage that you're getting as a plumber. On top of that, for all of the risk you're taking and the effort you're putting into running an actual business, the business itself should be making a profit too on top of the wage. Yeah. Whereas a lot of people go into business and think, well, I was making 100000 a year in my previous job. So if I can make 110000 or so running my business, then that's good. But you're actually probably further behind because you've got extra expenses yeah. in a business. Yeah. So the entrepreneurial myth or the e-myth mastery is really showing you the, the disciplines that you need to, to really build a business from the ground up and really make sure that you've got a proper structure Uh, to your business. So being an entrepreneur is great, but it needs to be profitable.
1: Yeah, I'm really glad you added this one to the list because when you sort of brought it up in the FAQ episode, that was really fascinating. The reason it got brought up was because we had a question about someone wanting to become self-employed and run their own business, but at the same time also wanting to grow their portfolio. So in the scheme of that, this book sounds really interesting because I don't think I really don't think a lot of people myself included if I was going to start a business because I was really really good at one thing I think I'd be very very shocked and overwhelmed at all the other stuff that you'd have to be good at in order to run a business and that running your own business isn't as as you said on that on that episode as rosy as it as it seems.
2: No and look if you if you do run a successful business then hats off to you that's amazing mm. and a lot of people have to go through uh, getting to that success point. Mm. By a lot of trial and error, and you know, spending thirty or forty dollars on a book uh, to learn about putting systems and processes in place and how to manage things that come up in your business that you may not have even thought about—it's a huge investment in mm. time with a very, very small investment in the in the price. But there's literally priceless information in the, in a book like this for any business owner, and yeah. would highly recommend if you're in business or looking to get into business that you purchase this book. Treat it like
0: your Bible. have a burning question you want answered on an upcoming episode? Each month, we take questions from our listeners and put them to our resident expert, Luke Harris. With more than two decades of residential and commercial investment experience under his belt, Luke has seen the best and the worst of the property market. Visit investorintelligence.com.au forward slash questions and ask us today.
1: Okay, book number five, final one, is The Magic of Thinking Big. So what can you tell me about this one?
2: Look, this is also one of my favorite books as well. Like, There's a lot of favorite books. There's probably another 10 or 15 books that (laughs) I'd like to list here. But The Magic of Thinking Big, look, everything's in the title. It's pretty obvious what the book is about. But what it does is actually help you to think outside of what your current thought processes are, right? Getting out of your comfort zone is uncomfortable thinking big is something that you need to do. We always talk to our members and say look if you're looking to build a property portfolio are you looking to get a small result or a big result? Mm. And often people say, "Oh, I'd like a big result." So come on, put some energy into it. Right? <laughs> let's 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 small result or a big result? Come on. And you know, so this is magic of thinking big is getting people to think over and above the the current parameters that they're working under. So a lot of people might be thinking Oh, well, I'd like to retire with $100,000 income and all of this sort of thing. That's great. Let's think bigger, Mm. right? It doesn't mean you have to change your goals, but let's think big. The sky's the limit. There's no Mm. limit to what you can do. If time and money wasn't an object, what would you do, right? And I always say to people, we've got one chance on this planet to do the best that we can. Think bigger, Mm. right? Because the bigger you think, the bigger your goals are going to be. The, the better chance you're going to get of, you know, really living a full life. And the magic of thinking big is not about saying, well, instead of a million dollars, I want $500 million. It's mm. not about making more money or building more wealth. It's about doing bigger things, yeah. right? So maybe you want to donate some money to charity. Why not start your own charity and and help the world that way? You know, all of the thought processes that people have when they're investing usually starts off thinking about themselves. Mm. Starts off thinking about yourself and thinking about your family and the people close to you. But why not think bigger? Imagine if you could help more people. Imagine if you could help people within your own suburb, within your your own state. Imagine if you could help people on a national or an international level. Mm. The reason why people like Oprah Winfrey uh, are out there helping so many people, and she's a great example because she's done more than just her career, not just gone out there and helped a lot of other people. There's dozens and dozens of examples of people around the world that have gone out there and they use their success to help even more people. There's plenty of millionaires and billionaires out there that are going out there and donating money to charities. They've started their own foundations, the, the um, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. They've got a, a lot of um, you know help that they're doing there. All of these things that you can do if you just think big. Mm. No, we don't get taught this stuff in school and all of these books, there's lessons in here that you'll never learn in school. Small thinking gives you small results. Right. right. Big thinking doesn't necessarily give you big results, but it gives you more scope to achieve bigger results.
1: I like the idea of that because yeah, if you think a bit bigger, even if you don't quite reach that exact point, you're probably going to land somewhere pretty close to it.
2: Well, the the old saying, you know, reach for the reach for the moon because even if you don't hit it, you're still in the stars. Exactly, um, yeah, or something to that effect. Anyway, but you know, I think the, the main thing is is there's no point in thinking small. You get one shot at this, and I, mm. I keep re- I remind myself of this every day. Give it your all and give it your best. Think big. Mm. Get out of your comfort zone. And the magic of thinking big is such a powerful book because it really does highlight the fact that it's it's so powerful to do that. Mm. It's so powerful to get out of your comfort zone and consider things that you may not have thought about. But also, thinking small doesn't really help anyone but you,
3: okay. right?
2: And I think it's quite selfish for us to be going out there and really building wealth for ourselves rather than thinking about the impact that we can have on other people, right? Imagine if you are into, into uh, helping climate projects and being involved in helping climate change. Imagine the impact that you can have if you become a successful investor and you can donate not only money but time into that cause. If you want to help homelessness, imagine mm. if you can help people in that, not just with money but also with your time.
3: Mm.
2: You know, And there's, there's issues with people getting access to clean drinking water around the world, uh, food and hunger issues. There's a lot of issues around the world that need fixing. And the more people that can get out of building wealth just for themselves – Think of how many other people that you can impact if you've got the time and the money to do that. So the magic of thinking big is really thinking about what's important to you and how important it is that. Are you Mm -hmm. gonna get out of your comfort zone and really do the things that are necessary to get you that result?
1: And one of the examples we've seen recently, which was with Luke and Laura, who uh, were on a previous episode and how they spoke about how Malika has always taught them to think bigger. And because of that, they achieved all their goals for 2022 by October so they still had a few months left to go so imagine what they're going to do next year
2: well we got an email from Beck one of our members the other day who said look we've pulled out our spreadsheet and we've pulled out our forecasting that we did back in 2020 and we've achieved 99% of our goals you know we've done some amazing things and you know this is all part of the mentoring process that we do here at the property mentors is to get people to think about your goals and then challenge you to think maybe you should set them a little bit higher Mm. Property investing and, and investing in general is an extremely powerful thing once you understand the compounding growth of investing and you understand how powerful it really can be mm. over the medium to long-term. right? We're not ever teaching get-rich-quick schemes. There's no such thing that actually works successfully. But if you invest for the long-term and you're a consistent investor and you set big goals, then that's what you can fall back on if things are getting tough or it's getting... You know, difficult, or if you're stressed or anxious about how your property investing's going, that you can always lean back on your goals and say, "Hey, this is why I'm doing it." Mm-hmm. And the good thing is, is like you've just mentioned, and our members that are actually achieving the results are actually resetting their goals bigger and bigger each time because they can yeah. see what they're doing is working. And when you're starting out, it's very hard to see how can I possibly achieve these big goals? How can it? Why would I think big because I'm only going to disappoint myself? But it's not about that. The book really covers in detail about why that's not important. It's not important whether you achieve it or not. It's understanding that you can. You know, understanding that you can achieve big things if you set your mind to it, you put a team of people around you, and you go for it, and you give it everything you can.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. Now, Luke, of course, we can't sit here and only talk about other people's books when you yourself are an author. You've written two of your own. So we've got Let's Get Real and Property Fit, which people who listen to the podcast regularly will have heard about more than once. Um, but let's have a little chat about them. Let's start with book number one. What's inspired you to write Let's Get Real?
2: Let's Get Real came about after working with people in a mentoring relationship for you know best part of a decade. And a lot of people were asking myself and our mentor team questions around, look, everything you're teaching is great. Can you put it in a book? Because I'd love to have some, you know, some sort of formal structure. Yeah. And that book was really written around the mindset of investing. Um, When we're talking about let's get real, a lot of people, and when I say a lot of people, I'd say probably 80% of the investors that we spoke to over those years, and to be blunt, they were kidding themselves.
3: Mm,
2: They were kidding themselves with what they thought they were able to do financially and they were kidding themselves with the goals that they'd set. There was a big gap in the middle. And so, Let's Get Real was titled appropriately in that we need to really get real with our situation and understand the ability that we've got financially, right? So, we need a mathematical equation to get from where we're at, which is our point A position, Mm -hmm. to our point B position. And often when we did those figures, we'd find that, you know, some people need to get an 800% per annum return compounding every year to get the goals that they wanted. So when we show the actual mathematical equation, it was we are light years away from where we need to be. So what we're actually doing is kidding ourselves. Mm. So it's all good to think big. Like I said, in the magic of thinking big, yes, think big. But being aware of those numbers, let's get real, Okay. If we want to achieve that, not that it's impossible, but we're going to have to make some big changes for that to happen. Mm -hmm. So everything's possible. Absolutely. We want you to set big goals and we want you to think big. But understanding the gap between where we're at now and where we want to be is a really critical component towards building wealth Mm long-term. And a lot of people are drifting through life and they're going out there and they buy an investment property and they put some money in the stock market or whatever they're doing with their financial life hoping that it all works out. Mm. And the most successful people out there are the ones that are actively involved in their investments. They understand where their money is, what it's doing, what returns they're getting and how they can improve on that. But the general population is out there kind of drifting through life, paycheck to paycheck, month to month, hoping everything works out financially and not really taking active steps to build wealth.
3: Mm.
2: And when we drill down into that and we look at the number of people that are... Actually, investors that call themselves property investors, I think there's a big gap between what a property investor is, a true property investor, mm. and someone that bought a property for investment.
1: Ah, uh, Okay.
2: See, Let's Get Real is all about the investor. It's not a book filled with data and facts and figures just talking about property on its own. And Let's Get Real is really written about the investor understanding themselves as an investor, how they're making decisions, how they're setting goals, and how they're working on that point A to point B position. Mm -hmm. But also understanding that there is a process in place that we've proven over many years that works. Yeah, And through that process, we've documented that in a book, and that book really helps people to understand that property investing is not just about interest rates. It's not just about capital growth and it's not just about positively geared or negatively geared property. It's more about you as an investor. And if we can teach you how to become a good investor and understand the fundamentals of investing, that's going to set you up for a successful property portfolio.
3: Mm.
2: It's like me going out there and learning to do what you do, Phoebe, learning how Mm -hmm. to do editing on podcasts and adjusting the audio and all of that sort of stuff. If I just dive into it and try and do it, it will be a mess, right? (laughs) So it's the same thing. It's any new industry or any new skill you're going to learn, you're going to have to learn the basics first and Mm -hmm. the fundamentals, but also learn what's important and what's not important. If you just look at the media and look at what your friends and family are doing and then you dive into becoming a property investor, you might get it right, but you might get it wrong. Mm. So we teach people in the book how to actually get started properly, set up a nice solid foundation, get your education ready, get you emotionally ready, and then being financially ready before you go out there in the marketplace.
1: It really is a fantastic uh, introduction to property investing or, you know, as you said, the being an investor, and it's super easy to follow. It's really a great starting point if you kind of want to get that education started. And one of my favorite chapters is the what type of investor are you, you know, it's so fascinating to learn about this. And even though the the descriptions of the nine types of investors are sort of generalizations, but if, when you read them, you're very likely to see similar traits in yourself, provided you are being real with yourself, of course.
2: Yeah. I think get, let's get real is about, you know, the amount of people out there that probably are kidding themselves that mm-hmm. they're on the right track when they're not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a very blunt title and uh, I don't apologize for that I think no, we, we take we take wealth creation and property investing very seriously and we want it to work for people so we're not here to fluff around as mentors and tell you something's all, all rosy when it's not and let's get real is really the reasons why most property investors fail and don't get the results that they desire and it's because they're not following a structured process and, you know a lot of people buy a property and then two or three years later they freak out because interest rates are going up they lose their job changes in life or they just look at the property and go you're not growing in value for me I'm not a multi-millionaire so I'm selling it and yes. people sell the property at the wrong time and there's a whole range of reasons why people fail but we want to try and educate people on these things first so that when they're going out there in the marketplace they're buying properties that help them to build wealth rather than that to cause them problems.
1: Yeah, definitely. And then following on from that, we have book number two, which is your most recent book, Property Fit. Now, we've heard a couple of times from the episodes with members that Property Fit is actually the reason they decided to reach out and contact the property mentors in order to seek mentoring. And Luke, I must say, making the book bright pink was an excellent choice because it really does catch your eye. But what was the reason for Property Fit?
2: I don't know why I've been attracted to bright pink lately in the last few years it just seems to be quite an appealing um, color and uh, yeah certainly is a, a, a jumps uh, off a the book, shelf for sure a book that pops out off the shelf yeah <laughs> um but yeah look the property fit was really written because following on from let's get real uh, there was a lot of people coming to us uh, our, our members were coming to us and saying look we understand all the structure and we understand the mindset stuff and you know got really good feedback from let's get real but then a lot of people were coming and saying Now, which property do I buy? Which one do I Mm. get? You know, because I understand all of that. But now, how do I select the right property for my investing? Everyone's got an opinion on what a good investment is. The ones that should be giving the opinions on what's a good investment are people that have actually done it before. Mm. And I think there's a lot of people out there that have got opinions on positively geared versus negatively geared, buying apartments, buying house and land, buying secondhand versus new. And there's a lot of that, I guess, information and a lot of misinformation out there about what makes a good investment. Now, in Let's Get Real, we talked about how to structure yourself and set those goals. And that ties back into the magic of thinking big as well and understanding why you're investing in the first place. Hmm. But once you've mapped that out, we need to understand what property fits in, hence why we call called a property fit, um, what fits into the property portfolio, but what fits into your personal goals. Hmm. A lot of people are out there, again, like I said, calling themselves property investors, but really they're going out there and buying a property for investment. And the research that they do is limited to a quick search on realestate.com or maybe they know the suburb next door and that's doing really well or for whatever reason, they're not exploring the whole country. Mm. And what we've been able to successfully do over the last 20 years that I've been doing it uh, is have a process on how to drill down not only on a property market, but on a property that suits my situation. So what I do is take an approach where we look at the property portfolio, work out what we actually need to build that portfolio, whether it's capital growth or cash flow or a combination of both, and what areas are going to fit in best depending on our age and our situation. So Mm. all of these things come into it rather than what a lot of people do is they say, I've heard this suburb's doing well, maybe I should buy there. But what suits you might not suit me. Hmm. And so the whole concept of property fit is to understand that, yes, you might like house and land packages, but it might not be the best investment for your portfolio.
3: Hmm. It
2: might not be the best investment based on the the area that you live in or your age or your financial capacity. A lot of factors have to come into it, whereas a lot of people are just looking at the property on its own. So when we're going through looking at at properties, we need to look at more than just the actual property itself. Mm. We need to look at more just more than just the suburb and the, the property uh, construction, whether it's a house or an apartment or townhouse, whatever it might be. We need to look at how that property fit is how it fits into your property portfolio. Mm. So understanding these things is really important because a lot of people will go out there and, you know, I've got friends and family all the time and send me a link to a property. Hey, I found this property. What do you think? And I, I, my first question is, how does that fit into your portfolio? Yeah, yeah. How does that fit into your end goal? Because it might be a great investment for me, it might not be a great investment for you. Mm. So when we're looking at property, there's, there's over 100 things that, that we consider to make sure that the property is a good investment It might be a good investment for one person but not the other.
0: Mm. And
2: what that means is that we've got people at different ages, different demographics, different risk profiles, different incomes, different debt serviceability, and obviously, there's things all factor in as to whether it's going to be a good investment. A good investment is something that's going to help build wealth for the long term, mm-hmm. but also something that's not going to cost you an arm and a leg in the first two or three years that you end up having to sell it because it's not working financially for you.
3: Mm-hmm. So, a lot of
2: people will come to me and say, well, look, I found this this great property. It's a 20-year-old house somewhere and I can renovate it and I can maybe subdivide it in the future. But when you do the numbers on this, you might actually be better off just buying a brand new property and leaving it.
1: Right, yeah. Not
2: always Not always the case. Sure. Um, but generally when something has renovation potential or it has subdivision potential, that's built into the sale price. The agents are aware of these things. Mm-hmm. So that's built into the selling price, especially if it's got a nice piece of land at the back that you can subdivide. And a lot of people want to be developers.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: When we
2: look at the figures on a small development, most of the time you'd be lucky to break even. Right, Because the smallest end of property development, which is blocks of land under 2 or $3 million, that's the most competitive. And a lot of people want to become developers because they they think that it's easy money or that they can just drive around and chop up a block of land into four or five townhouses. Did an interview on... Uh, Investor Intelligence recently with Andrew Purdy, mm-hmm. great interview for anyone that hasn't listened to that yet about what it's like to be a developer.
1: Yeah, that'll and really give you a good insight to it. Yeah, he he
2: is a successful developer and he's a friend of mine. I've known him for a long time, but uh, you know, being developer is not as rosy as it seems. So all of these different things that people want to try to build wealth in property are covered in property fit because a lot of people are just looking at the property on its own and not factoring that into their own situation. So like we covered in Let's Get Real, we need to understand the goals, your point A position and your point B position. But then when we're selecting the property, we need to look at more than just the property itself. So we need to look at the property itself and the strategy Mm -hmm. behind that property. So there's a lot of things to consider. So reading property fit will help people to understand how the property fits in, and also sort of covers off a lot of preconceived ideas about what people think about certain strategies. Mm, what a mm-hmm. positively geared property is, what a negatively geared property is and and how looking at those things in isolation is probably going to set you up for failure.
1: Yeah, it really is a great follow-up to Let's Get Real and some of the other feedback is that just like Let's Get Real, it was really easy to follow, even if you're brand new to the investing world. Um, one of the reasons one of our members really liked it was because it wasn't patronizing. She found a lot of other investing books are quite patronizing, but it, you know, property fit was very real. And the way that you shared your mistakes and not just your wins, people found it really honest.
2: Yeah, I think the, all the property books that I read over the years, like I said at the start of of the call is that I've got hundreds of books, and a lot of those are property books. Mm. Unfortunately, a lot of those are full of data and facts and figures, and a lot of stuff that's really not relevant. Um, you can drill into data and research till your eyes water, and you probably will after a, a period of time. But the problem is, a lot of those bo- a lot of those books are focused on one part of investing. Mm. And without looking at the big picture and understanding how it fits in with the goals and how the property strategy is important as well as the property, then we're only looking at one thing. And I I was so, uh, I guess, gobsmacked that nobody had written a book about how it really affects me. Mm. Some of them touched on goals and touched on the fact that you need a plan, but a lot of them very quickly went off into facts and figures and data and a lot of stuff that not only didn't make a huge amount of sense at the time, But because a lot of it was out of date by the time I read it. I was going to say, yeah, surely
1: that stuff would go out of date pretty quickly, yeah. Uh,
2: And and look, I understand the concept behind a lot of those things, but without understanding the investor and understanding the investor's fears and risk profile and the goals that they want to achieve, then the property stuff is irrelevant. Mm. So, we need to bridge the gap between where the investor's at and where the property market is at. And mentoring really for our business, the property mentors really helps people to bridge that gap. So there's an ongoing conversation. You never buy a property and just let it sit there. There's Mm -hmm. ongoing conversations about finance, interest rate rises, rent rises, repairs and maintenance, all of these things that have to be factored in. And of course, how to build the portfolio moving forward. So every property that you put into your property portfolio should fit in like a piece of a jigsaw puzzle.
3: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: And both books, um, especially to begin with, where a lot of the, where the podcast episode topics came from. So I've definitely been using them as inspiration. I still go back to them. I guess they're, I would consider both of them my Bible in a, in a sense.
2: Yeah, look, I think the, the thing with investing and to become a successful property investor is to continue with your education. Mm. You're never going to know it all. Yeah. and I've been investing in property for 22 years now. And um, yeah, for me, there's always stuff to learn. So the education that you you get with property never ends. And that's the exciting thing because, you know, I think the day you stop learning is the day you die. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, a lot of people assume that there's a set retirement age and when you get to 65 or 70, that's when you retire. I think if you're truly passionate about what you do, you'll never really retire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I've tabled over the years, and, and threatened um, my partner and, and our team that I'm going to retire at 45. Um, you know, it's, it's probably never going to happen because I will not retire, and I'm not just going to sit there in a rocking chair watching Oprah reruns every day. Um, <laughs> well, you could, just, I don't just, know. It just, and it'll be fun for a little while, but you know, I think that's the thing is that understanding that you know you'll never stop learning. Reading these books is going to be a really good starting point, and uh, regardless of whether you've been investing for a little while or if you're just getting started read these books that we've mentioned today there's a Mm. huge amount of information even if you don't have a huge amount of money to invest I mean I was 16 17 reading these books and I had no money to invest I worked at Hungry Jack's right I worked at Hungry Jack's earning $5.21 an hour Mm. right and I still went out there and spent my money on these books and invested in these books the life lessons that you get from these books it doesn't matter what age you are And if you've got teenage kids, like I said, get them to chew up as many of these books as you can Mm -hmm. and um, read as much as you can because it's one of the best ways to learn from other people's experiences, other people's mistakes, other people's life lessons. And for $30 for a book, one of the best investments you can make so that you can invest in yourself.
1: Yep, definitely. Well, Luke, as always, thank you. And listeners, definitely make sure to add all of these books to your reading list for 2023, uh, especially the last two. But we hope you're enjoying your holidays and having a great start to your 2023. We'll be back in your ears next week. And Luke, thank you for your time.
2: Thanks, Phoebe, and Happy New Year to everybody listening.
0: If you found this episode or any of our episodes helpful, please make sure to share and leave a rating to help us reach more people on their investing journeys. And of course, subscribe to be notified when new episodes drop. Make sure to follow the podcast on Instagram at Investor Intelligence Podcast. You can find links to our other socials in the show notes, including a link to the Property Mentors weekly blog. If you're ready to get your property portfolio in shape for financial freedom, check out Luke's latest book, Property Fit. You can get yourself a copy at www.com propertyfitbook.com.au.